Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. All right, man. Thanks to our praise team, and especially those strings this morning. Weren't they beautiful? Let's give them a hand again. I don't know where they all went to, but man, that, that was beautiful. We love that every, every time at Christmas. Today being Christmas Eve, of course, we are one day away from Christmas Day. And of course, we hope that you will come back this evening at 5 o'clock for our candlelight service. And I do want to say this for any of you that have little ones. Uh, thanks to Gary Clark, we now have some safe candles for the little ones so that they won't burn or get wax on their hands. So uh, come on out. We're going to have a great time. Make it a family tradition. I think that's a great family. How many of you have been to almost every candlelight service we've had? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. See, some folks have made it a real family tradition, so I hope you can do that. Now, over the past few weeks, we have been in a sermon series where we have discussed the heart of Christmas. And you know, often we get lost in all the gifts and the decorations and the parties, and we miss the central focus of the Christmas season. And even though we know that Jesus wasn't actually born on December the 25th, it is a day set aside for a long time to recognize his birth in the world. Jesus was born to bring the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love, which to me is the real reason for the season. The, the first week, Michael Pittman shared with us that uh, we are offered hope in the middle of our circumstances because of God's faithfulness. And the second week, we looked at the wonderful gift of peace that Jesus' sacrifice makes available to us. We are made right with God, right with ourselves, and right with others because of Jesus. And last week, we learned that joy is ours no matter the circumstances because God dwells with us. And for this final week of our series, we're going to look at a theme within the scriptures that truly holds it all together. You see, at the heart of Christmas is the great love of God for each and every one of us. Now, growing up, Christmas was my favorite time of year. We, we didn't have much, but my mom made the best of what we had. She was very creative. She was also an awesome cook, which always makes Christmas great. Right, everybody? Right? Isn't, isn't a great cook in the house awesome? Uh, if you could make gizzards and rice into a delicacy, then you must be a good cook, right? Dennis, you should say amen to that. <laughs> uh, he don't eat gizzards, I can tell you that. Uh, we would always have the decorations and the lights and the candles and the apples and the oranges and the baskets, and she went to great lengths to make a special time for our family. And then as the day approached, she began her baking. I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody, but oh my goodness, the aromas that filled our little house, whether it was a red velvet cake or assortment of pies and a turkey and dressing or the cookies. I mean, the house was just filled with this wonderful 
fragrance. Anybody getting hungry about right now, you know? She always had Christmas music playing, and we always watched some Christmas shows on TV. Uh, we didn't have a fireplace, but I tell you, the warmth of her love for us was constant. You know what? That aroma that filled the air was the aroma of love. Because everything she did, she did out of love for her children and for her family. Every sacrifice she made, she made because of love. Every gift she gave, she gave because of love. And as I look back on it now, her love was what made our home so wonderful at Christmas time. And I truly believe that her love for us was motivated by her understanding of God's love for her. Today I want to speak to you about the gift of love. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given to us. And the birth of Jesus was the time in which it was first presented. Sometimes, you know, when we're dealing with life, it, it can be hard to recognize love. We, we can be so tied up in our own little worlds that we really forget about love. We forget about why we do what we do. We're focused on all the stuff that we have to do. It feels more like a chore or an expectation. We get focused on the parties we have to go to and how tired we are and how we don't feel like going. We get focused on the gifts that we're giving and how many we got to get. And we may be feeling guilty that we can't give everything we want to give. Or on the other hand, some may be focused on the gifts that they want. And if they don't get what they want, then they're going to be miserable and they're going to make everybody else miserable. You know what I'm saying? Somewhere in all of that, we can forget about the simplicity of love. We do what we do. We go where we go. We give what we give out of love. That is why we sacrifice. That is why we go when we don't feel like going. We do what we do to bless the people that we love. Isn't that it? That's why we do it. In fact, that's the whole idea of Christmas. Because it's all about God revealing his love to us by sending his son. You see, at just the right time, Jesus came into the world. He came to free us from the crushing weight of the law. We could never be good enough to earn our salvation. So Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. Why? Because of love. God wanted us to be a part of his family. Out of love, he adopted us through the work of Christ. We are now the sons and daughters of God. Jesus is not just our Savior and Lord, but he's also our brother, and we can rest in the love of the Father. So that's our big idea today. God's love is at the heart of Christmas. Why don't we go to God in prayer? Gracious Father, thank you for sending your son to live a sinless life so that we could experience eternal life with you. Thank you for loving the whole world 
And that's all of us. And making a way of salvation for all those who would believe. Thank you for the gift of love that we share with our families and with our friends and our loved ones. Father, I want to thank you for my mother. I want to thank you for my wife. I want to thank you for my children and my grandchildren. I want to thank you for my sons-in-law, for my brothers and my sister, for my niece and my nephews. Father, you have blessed me richly, far more than I deserve, and I know it's because you love me. And I pray that each one of us here today will be reminded of the origin of this love we feel and experience. It all started with you, Father. It all started with your gift to us in the person of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, God uh, sent his son to be born. And when he did that, it was an expression of his unfailing and relentless love for us. His love is a gift that is thoughtful because it meets our greatest need. And I don't know if you knew what your greatest need is. I don't know when you were writing your Christmas list out, at the top of that list, did you write this need? We need to be saved. Our sinful state has separated us from God. And the only way we could be reunited with God is for God to do something miraculous. It is a gift that is priceless because it could never be purchased apart from Christ's blood. It is the gift that is timeless because the grace of God is never ending. Above all else, at the heart of Christmas is love. So the first thing I want to point your attention to this morning is this. God's gift was right on time. Have you ever received a present from someone and, and you couldn't believe how perfect the timing was. Anybody here have anything like that happen where out of the blue, somebody does something for you, just what you needed, just on time, maybe because of something you were going through or because of a need that was met. It was as if the giver knew just what your heart needed. <coughs> Years ago, and I've shared this story, but a lot of you haven't heard it. But when I got back from a summer missionary trip to England, by the way, two of our favorite people from England are here today. We're glad that, that you're here. But uh, I had a bill waiting on me. You see, I, I, it was from our school where, where I was going to Bible college. I, I owed $350 tuition. Now, for some of you today, you're thinking, $350? That's pocket change compared to today. And you're right, but then it wasn't. Um, I was young and dumb. I'm going to admit it. I, I had not even considered the thought that when I got back, I was going to owe some money for school. I didn't know what I was going to do because I had spent all of my money on this trip, this missionary trip to England. So the office informed me of my debt, and I, I just pray, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. My mom don't have $350. What? 
What am I going to do? So I went back to my mailbox to see if I had gotten any mail over the summer while I was gone. And, and one of the pieces of mail in there was a, a letter from a church in Virginia. Now, before our trip to England, my good friend Scott Taylor and I, not our Scott here, he is a good friend, but not the same one. Uh, but we had visited some churches to raise support for this trip we were taking. And this particular church had not responded before we left. But when I opened the letter, what do you think I found in the letter? It was a check for $350. <laughs> you see, God had answered my prayer even before I knew I needed it. Those folks in that church blessed me. God, right on time, blessing me. God has been in the business of blessing his people right on time since the creation of the world. The book of Galatians talks about the timing of Jesus' birth as Paul wrote to that church in Galatia. So in Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4, we read, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, from the moment creation was broken by sin, God began to hatch a plan to restore and rescue all that he had made. The Bible is an account of the divine efforts of God and his faithfulness to reverse the effects of the fall of sin. Motivated by love, God partners with those who love and trust him to enact the greatest rescue plan in history. Paul wrote that when Jesus came and was born to Mary, the fullness of time had come. It was the right moment in history to send his son to make a way for the world to be restored. <clears throat> and because of love, God was not content to sit back and watch his creation suffer forever. He went on to great lengths to be with us and make us a part of his family. Once again, God's timing is perfect. What is perhaps most amazing is that when Jesus came, he came to meet us exactly where we are. He was born under the law of God in order to redeem mankind from the regulations of the law. And in doing so, his perfect life met the requirements that the law demanded of a perfect sacrifice. You see, the law required a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish. And so Jesus lived a perfect life and became that perfect lamb for us, a sacrifice for our sin. Can any life be more in need of love than an orphan? You know, if you think about those children that are living without a biological parent, to, they, they need care, and, and they are the most vulnerable in all of the world. I read a book called She is Mine by Stephanie Fast. And in that book, she shares her adoption story. And it is the tale that can be very difficult to hear. Her mother was Korean. Her father was a U.S. soldier stationed in Korea during the war. 
When he returned to America, her mother tried to raise her on her own, but it was difficult. Her family had rejected her. There was shame and dishonor in having what they call a half-breed child. And so one day, when she was four or five years old, her mother took her into the market like she would often do. But her mother abandoned her in that market. Four or five years old. Can you imagine? Somehow, she had to find a way to live, to survive. She, when she realized she was on her own, she... And she got hungry. She began to find things. And she, she would steal food. She would eat garbage somewhere. And that little child's heart was a, a will to survive. She wound up at a garbage dump covered with boils and lice, malnourished and very close to death. And eventually, right at the right time before she died... She would be discovered by some Christians who ran an orphanage and they would take her in. They would do their best to provide for her. Even though they had meager resources, they tried to get her well and healthy, but her body had been ravaged by sickness and disease. But in that orphanage, they would feed and clothe many children. And often people would come to adopt a child. Many people from America would go and they would go through the orphanage and they would see a child that had no family and they would adopt that child. Most of the time it was babies or very young children. Now by this time she was about nine years old. And so she was not one that many families looked to adopt. And she was so frail and thin, still suffering from the years of neglect. Uh, by her own account, no one wanted her. And she knew this. And time after time, family after family, she was not chosen. She would help the other children get presentable. So when a couple would come uh, and find a child to adopt, I mean, that child would look pretty and nice for that couple. One day, she had gotten a child ready because they heard that a, an American couple was coming in. And she saw this tall white man come in the door and, uh, and she knew he was going to be choosing one of these little children. And he walked through and when he saw her, he looked at her and he said, she is mine. In many ways, he saved her at just the right time. You see, she had given up hope to ever be loved as someone's child. That feeling of rejection and abandonment was even worse than the physical scars that she felt. But God was right on time. She has grown to become a strong advocate of adoption and for the Christian faith. She understands why Jesus came, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, she knows that we are loved into the family. We are loved into God's family. According to Galatians 4, the full expression of God's love is demonstrated in our spiritual adoption. We become children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. <coughs> we are all given the privileges of sonship and daughtership with God as our Father. Father. 
Just as Stephanie felt she was not good enough, not pretty enough, not clean enough to ever be adopted, God has adopted us when we could never be good enough or pretty enough or clean enough. He adopted us because he loves us. <coughs> the late pastor J.I. Packer wrote about this incredible expression of love that came to us at Christmas. He writes, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is greater. Many of us live our lives every day missing the fact that God loves us. When we miss the fact that we have been adopted into his family, we, we have a hard time loving others. In turn, we have a hard time loving others who are also valued and treasured by God. The reason this aspect of Christmas should not be missed or avoided is because it is central to us living the full lives that God wants us to live. You see, when we have a hard time loving others, it's probably a result of our dislike of ourselves. We don't love others or recognize God's love for us. Or we think we have messed up so horribly that we have sinned so terribly that there's no way that God could still love me. The good news is that we're wrong. God chooses to love us even when we don't love ourselves. Paul tells us about all the benefits of being God's, in God's family and being recipients of his love in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can look over at Ephesians 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, friends, I want you just to consider the benefits that that text laid out for us of being a part of God's family. As a part of God's family, we are made blameless <coughs> in God's sight. Our sins are washed away by his uh, sacrifice, his blood. God's will and way are made known to us as a father might share with his children. We are chosen to receive hope and salvation. We are marked with a seal to ensure that we are filled by the Spirit of God and will inherit eternal life as one of God's precious possessions. All this is only made possible by the arrival of Jesus at just the right time to one day sacrificially give his life on a cross to validate God's amazing love for us. Do you know how much God loves you? He wants to take you out of this place of darkness and loneliness and into his family. His family is a loving family. And what a family, uh, a loving family learns is this. Love freely received is love freely given. Have you recognized that fact? When you have received uh, love freely, you can give love freely. That's sort of called unconditional love. The reason love must be at the heart of Christmas is because if we miss this being the central message of the season, in the midst of all the lights and the presents, we may never receive it for ourselves. What is perhaps most tragic about the oversight is that we often give the kind of love that we perceive to be ours. If we have not experienced the grace of God, friends, it's going to be very hard to offer the grace of God. If we do not know the compassion of God, it's going to be very difficult to express the compassion of God to other people. But when we recognize the kind of love that God has for us, it becomes the way in which we treat others around us. And this is why I mentioned earlier that I believe that my mother's deep conviction told her of God's love for her. And it created that space for her to love others. And she loved everybody. My mother experienced God's love and her heart was full of that love and she freely gave that love, not just to us, but to anyone that she was in contact with. The most famous of all passages in the Bible uh, talk, talks about love and it helps us to understand God's feelings toward us and the way we should feel about ourselves about our spouse, about our children, about our friends, and about our neighbors. It's a passage that we often read during wedding ceremonies. In fact, many of you probably had at least a portion of this passage read at your wedding. But it should be a passage that we think of every day as we try to live a life of love that God has had for us. So in 1 Corinthians 13... I'm just going to read the whole chapter for you this morning. 
Uh, beginning in verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, what am I? Say it out loud. A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain what? Nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away or put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Friends, we can get so caught up in all kinds of things, even good things, and we can miss the whole point if love is not our motivating factor. Love, like we have been given from God, should cause us to be patient and kind with others. So when you get to the restaurant later today and things don't move as quickly as you want, why would you respond in anger? Why don't you just respond in love? It should cause us to avoid being envious or, uh, of one another or even proud of ourselves. Love drives us to honor others and to keep a cool head. Love is present when we avoid evil and rejoice with what is good. Does this sound like the love you have received from God? Does it sound like the love you display in your life? Now, the way this passage might sound during Christmas would be sort of like this. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, Strands of twinkling lights, shiny ornaments, but do not have no love. I am just another decorator. If I work hard in the kitchen, baking Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, arranging a beautifully ordained uh, or adorned, excuse me, table at mealtime, but do not have love, I'm just another cook. If I work at a soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, give all I have to charity, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, 
attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ. I have missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love does not yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful they are there to be in the way. Love does not give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the spouse. Love is kind even when harried and tried. Love does not envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. You see, toys will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. You know, this life is short. And I want to encourage you to love those in your life with a pure love. Don't love them to see what they will do for you. Love in such a way as just simply to bless them. Do what you do. Say what you say. Go where you go. Give what you give out of love. Because I know you'll be blessed when you do. Now, last week, the church builders class, this is Lonnie and Betty Foreman's class, uh, they, they, they've always been kind enough to invite Christy and I to their annual Christmas party. And they've been doing that party for, I believe, about 23 years, right? Um, which is as long as our church has been in existence. Um, now, many of you know that Gary Summerall passed away. And as we were looking through uh, the things there, uh, Dora found this picture and I think we have it to go up there. I hope we have it to... Um, no, no, it's not there. Okay. Anyway, there's this wonderful picture <laughs> of the class from years ago. Um, probably uh, after uh, we, we moved into the church building, maybe 20 years ago, there's a huge tent um, in the picture, in, in, uh, at the back of the picture. So it was probably at a fall festival when we took that picture. And um, as I looked at that picture, I, I think of all the people that were in that picture. Uh, now just last year, at that annual Christmas party, Doug Parker, Gary Summerall, Nick Mayo, and my mom were in attendance. And it struck me this year how much I really missed them. You know, in that picture uh, that we were supposed to have, uh, uh, there was Howard Bullock. There was Jack Taylor. There was Martha Gwaltney. There was John Simpson. There was Gary Sumrall. There was Doug Parker. And I feel certain that Edgar Boyd was the one taking the picture. And my mom wasn't in that picture. She didn't live here at the time, and she didn't really attend the class. I mean, they were just so kind to invite her. She didn't get out at night. Uh, she didn't drive by herself. But they were always so gracious to invite her to their party, and she loved it. She always looked forward to it. We didn't go to the party because we had to go. 
We didn't go to the party because of the food. We didn't go to the party because of a dirty Santa gift that we would often play to get. We went to the party because of love. That's why we went. And what I wouldn't give to have all those people together again. And you know what? That day will come when we will all be together again. Oh, there's our picture. Look, look at, the, look at there's Miss Martha. Wow. And, and you know, you, many of you have known these people a long time. You see that picture and, and you, just, you just miss them. What I wouldn't do to, to be together. You know, they have gone from this earth to be with the Lord. We loved them when they were here. And you know what? We still love them. And I tell you, God loves them even more than we love them. God has made a way for all of us to be together again through Jesus. And so this Christmas, I want you to look upon the arrival of Jesus as the ultimate gift of love from God. The kind of gift where the only proper response is to receive it. May that love you receive in your heart cause you to live it out every day of the year. And may we all do what we do and go where we go and give what we give out of pure love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the people in our lives who love us. Thank you for all of these relationships that we have had in our lifetime that have blessed us. Thank you for unconditional love. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't pay it back. But you still love us. And I pray this season we will focus on the love that is at the heart of Christmas. May we love our families and our loved ones with a pure heart. May, may we be willing to go and do, to give, to bless them, not because it's a chore, not because we have to do it, but because we love them. May we pour into them the pure love that you have poured into us. You did that through Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.